Welcome to a semi-irregular space-filling episode of the Garbage Fire Podcast, Book Burning Edition, Part 3. Your pod is hosted by Megan and Kelsey, who need to get better at walking around in other people's shoes. This week, we're continuing our discussion and capping it off with Part 3, Chapters 22 through 31, and with a brief discussion of the film. Um, spoilers. Spoilers. So, just so, whatever. Whatever. Um, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, last week we talked a little bit about, um, the trial of Tom Robinson and the guilty verdict that was passed down and, um, how devastating that conclusion was, um, at that time. And I was, like, legitimately tearing up as we were You talking were. About it. it was a sight to behold. Um, I don't really like to have feelings about stuff, so it's weird. Um, <laughs> Anyway, Kelsey's learning a lot about me. Uh, <laughs> we spend a lot of time together now because we do this all we the time. Um, so, yeah. So, we talked a little bit about um, the trial and like, kind of the emotional reaction to that. Um, and, I mean, obviously that everybody in the courtroom knew that Tom Robinson was innocent and they yeah. convicted him anyway. Um, and did. it's just heart-wrenching. That's it the is. only word I can think of. It's just heart-wrenching. Jem cries yeah. at the injustice of it all. He can't stand it. Um and what I found really powerful, what really moved me, um, is when all of a sudden all these, the food and gifts show up at their door, and it's from Tom's community. Yeah. And Atticus tears up, and he tells Capernia to say, tell them they must never do this again. Times are too hard. Yeah. So, and Atticus is able to recognize that people don't have much. A lot, yeah. But this is their way of saying thank you. But he's overwhelmed. Absolutely. Because he yeah. feels, of course, like he's failed. Yeah. When they get home from the courthouse, and it's very late at night, and Alexandra's still waiting up, mm-hmm. and she, basi- she basically says that um, the kids shouldn't have been there, and then Atticus says one of the most interesting things I think he says in the entire book, and he says, um, this is their home sister. We've made it this way for them. They might as well learn to cope with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I mean, I, I've often wondered like he de- he de- he doesn't look like in the f- second part that he knows his kids are there, but at the same time I wonder if he didn't kind of think they were already there anyway somehow, mm-hmm. um, in such a way that he wanted them there to experience it. Yeah. Right. Just to kind of be around, and so, uh, and Alexandra's mad that he's okay with them having been there, and then you know he just says. Um, it's just as much Macomb County as missionary teas. So like, it's, it's just as much a part of what happens in where we live as yeah. the things that you do. Um, and then she sort of chides him for, for becoming bitter. And he says, I'm not bitter. I'm just tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he d- to reinforce that, he says they've done it before and they did it again. And they'll do it again. And when they do it, it seems that only children reap. So he's really connecting to the idea mm-hmm. that the kids are utterly broken by this. Mm-hmm. And no one else is. And he's... I think he's mad as hell. But, and I think that the inference there is that they've done it before. Yes. And they do it this time and they'll do it again. It infers that, like, the children who are so broken by it now won't won't be broken by it later. Oh, okay. Because it's never going to change. I see. That's sort of the the feeling. More of a... It's a cycle and it's just going to continue. Yeah. Until there's a reason for it not to continue. Um, And and it just... Ugh. It's Much less hopeful than you'd want it to be. Yeah. Um... And Miss Rachel, uh, their next door neighbor, her reaction to the whole thing, um, as relayed by Dill, was, if a man like Atticus Finch wants to butt his head against a stone wall, it's his head. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Miss Maudie says, you know, he's one of those people who are born to do difficult things for us. Mm-hmm. And we let them because it's difficult. Yeah. 
Because we don't want to. We don't want to, but there are people in the world like Atticus who will. Who will, yeah. Um, And that's really powerful, I think, especially to Jem, right? Because he feels... I think he's he's really frustrated and perhaps lost that sense of, of hope and idolatry in his father for losing. And he can't really understand why. Mm-hmm. And Miss Maudie maybe helps him understand that a little bit more. Yeah, and... and that there's braveness and courageousness yes. and, and goodness in what he did despite the loss. And and, and what's interesting is Miss Maudie, she invites them over for cake. And, and Scout makes a very astute observation that there's this, this big cake and two little cakes on Miss Maudie's table. And Scout just wrongly assumes that the two little cakes are for her and Jem and that she's somehow forgotten about Dill. Mm-hmm. And then realizes that Jem... Um, gets to eat from the big cake with the adults which is like I guess very like sitting at the big table for Christmas yeah. dinner or whatever um and sure Jem's only 12 years old but I think this was like the moment that he grew up mm-hmm. um and I think people recognize that 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 he gets to eat um you know from the big cake with the adults and kind of be part of that mm-hmm. um because he's he's ultimately a caretaker for his sister in a yeah. lot of ways even though they don't necessarily always get along and he really has been forced to grow up with this trial. Mm-hmm. Had to. And struggled to deal with what it means and how to learn from it. Yeah. And how it changes yeah. his ideas of himself, his yeah. father, and, his and, society. And he's jaded at this point yeah. because he says, you know, who in this town did one thing to help Tom Robinson just two? And then Miss Maudie, I, I imagine she's very upset mm-hmm. by this question. And she says, his colored friends for one thing and people like us. And so she's been lumped in with them already yeah. because of Scout, but I think she belongs in that group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she says, people like Judge Taylor, people like Mr. Hectate, stop eating and start thinking, Jem. Did it ever strike you that Judge Taylor naming Atticus to defend that boy was no accident? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like, and I feel like Judge Taylor probably had it right, that if anyone was going to get some doubt in someone's mind, it was going to be Atticus Finch. And, and nobody else. right by him and what the system yeah. Yeah. mandates should be done. Yeah. And, and she says it's, you know, it's 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 not a win, but it's not a loss. It's a baby step mm-hmm. in the right direction. Yeah, and she recognizes that. She knows. Yeah. Um, and then while Miss Maudie's having this conversation with, with these kids, uh, Bob Ewell is in town, and he stops Atticus on the street and spits in his face and says um, he'd get him if it takes the rest of his life. Yeah. So Bob Ewell is... Uh, has won. He's won, but he's been mortified, yes. right? And that's the that's the thing. Atticus embarrassed him and embarrassed his daughter, mm-hmm. and he will not let Atticus get away with. He has to pay with yeah. that with that embarrassment, and so Atticus has to pay for his transgression. Mm-hmm. And I think that the notion that Atticus says that you know only the children weep, I think that that's a, a very sort of apt. Thing, considering what Bobby will decides to do mm-hmm. later on. Because, I mean, obviously it's a legal proceeding and there's still appeals processes and, and things like that. And Atticus, of course, is going to... Try to do those things. Try to do yeah. those things because he wouldn't be doing his due diligence as a lawyer if... And he truly believes in Tom. Yes, as he should, right? Yes. As everybody should. Um, and Bobby will knows the, Like, everybody knows the everybody truth. Everybody knows it, yeah. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I think Bobby will is so angry about it. And especially because I think that's put forth more when Atticus is trying to explain to Jem what happened Mm -hmm. and Jem keeps saying like this isn't right 
it's the system isn't right. And mm-hmm. Atticus says, well, if there were 12 boys on that jury, he would have went free because yeah. you understand. Yeah. You're compassionate. But uh, we get Atticus discussing trash. And he his definition of trash is, as you grow older, you'll see white men cheat black men every day of your life. But let me tell you something, and don't you forget it. Whenever a white man does that to a black man, no matter who he is, how rich he is or how fine a family he comes from, that white man is trash. Yeah, and that's just... I mean, and Atticus does not throw that word around. No, 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 no. Um, So he very firmly believes that Bob Ewell is trash. Mm -hmm. And Scout says those words, and that last word, trash, crashed on our ears. Yes. So you know that that's him That's That's Atticus spitting that word out to, to really emphasize what he thinks of Bob Ewell. Mm-hmm. Um, and his opinion, of, of course, of Bob Ewell is not very high. No one's opinion of Bob Ewell is no. high. Um, it's... Yeah, and, and so Atticus, you know, kind of recognizing for his kids, like, what they need to know in order to navigate the world. And he's yeah. been very good about that. And for him to, to tell them that, um, he's teaching them a lesson. Mm-hmm. And, As he does in nearly every chapter. Yeah, every time, every interaction they have with their father, teaches them something. Yeah, about him or about the way the world works or about themselves or whatever. Um, and he 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 learns. Um, and uh, of course, Tom Robinson's been sentenced to death because it's a capital offense. Yes. And Jem makes a really interesting point. Um. He says, I know it's not right, but I can't figure out what's wrong. Maybe rape shouldn't be a capital offense. Mm -hmm. And then Atticus and Jem are sort of talking, not really realizing the scout's listening. Um, And then they realize that she's listening and Atticus kind of says, he says, I mean, before a man is sentenced to death for murder, say there should be one or two eyewitnesses. Someone should be able to say, yes, I was there and saw him pull the trigger. And that's a fair point. You know, like that's, somebody should be able to say that. Mm -hmm. Um... That's not how these things happen. That's not how these things happen. That's not how it works. And Atticus knows that. And uh, um, and Atticus, you know, he uh, he's almost amused by Jem, I think, in this interaction in, in a lot of ways. Because Jem's like, well, we should get rid of juries. We should get rid of all these things. And Atticus knows that's not possible. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Jem will learn that later. Um, but, uh, you know, he says that you're very hard on us. You know, and and Jem is, and I think rightly so. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like he's not maybe quite recognizing that Atticus like did the absolute best that he could because mm-hmm. he isn't quite there yet. But like Jem isn't wrong in thinking these things shouldn't be no. this complex. Like he he believes that society should have a right and a wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And that all of the other shit that goes on in society, all the social conventions and the prejudices those should all be absent from justice. Yeah. Yeah. As they should. Absolutely they should, and they're not. But that's just not um, how it's And then Atticus explains why, because Jem asks why people like us and Miss Maudie can't sit on a jury, right? Mm-hmm. He says, you never see anyone from make them on a jury, they all come from out in the woods. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting thing, too. And so, like, Atticus is up against um, not a jury of townspeople, which I think would have been a different yeah. thing. But he also placed someone on the jury Yeah. who he shouldn't have. Yeah. Which makes me, this is a question I had, is Atticus naive? I think he believes in the goodness of people. 
But also, you're a lawyer. Yeah, but I think he still believes like, in the goodness of people. Making strategic moves. Because I think he believes that the law is infallible. At his Obviously core. Obviously, it's not. But and he should know. This but I, I think I know. But I think at his core, he believes that it should be, and that that maybe if he keeps believing it, it will be someday. So if if he still makes these choices and puts that man on the jury who is already prejudiced to believe that Tom is guilty, yeah. Then it's Atticus's failure and not the system's failure. Yes and no, but he may have put the man on the jury to try and change his mind. Like, do you know what I mean? Oh, this stuff being fucking righteous. He's so great, though. Oh, he's wonderful. It's infuriating. He, it is infuriating. Though. It is very because infuriating. there's loss after loss after loss that happen here um, because of that action. Like the rippling effect. Oh, absolutely. Is so large and wide. Absolutely. Of what he does. Um, but at the same time, he also took very seriously the, the task he was given, mm-hmm. and he did the job the absolute best he could and he forced an all-white jury of basically hillbillies to deliberate to deliberate for hours and hours and hours Mm -hmm. um over whether or not a black man was guilty of a crime against a white person and so i think i mean and miss maddie says it's a small step and she's right that is a small step and it's a step in the right direction um and so i think he's i don't know if he's naive he's very idealistic though and I think that he very firmly, I think he very firmly believes that the law should be, that nobody can be above the law. Yeah. Regardless of who a person is, right? And that trash like Bob Yule can't take advantage of somebody who's black mm-hmm. because he's white. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Atticus believes that he just has to keep doing it and doing it and doing it until what he believes is true. And, it, and unle- there's and some it, sense of change that comes Yes, and unless he, do- unless he keeps doing it, it's never going to change, because no one else is going to do it. <sighs> I know. I know. It's really frustrating. And, and the other thing, too, though, is he put one of the, the one of the people, that person that he put on the jury, like one of the Cunninghams from up at, at Old Sarum, like he did it on purpose. Mm-hmm. And it's probably one of those men who is outside, right? And, and, and I feel like he did, there was a point to it, that everything that he does is an object lesson for somebody. Come on, though. But it is. But like, that's. But it is. I mean, that's how he. That's how he's positioned himself. Everything that he does, he's, he's trying. I mean, he says it to Aunt Alexander, like that we've made this bed for our children. Yeah. And now they have to sleep in it, and so we might as well show them. What's what? what the best way to go to sleep is? Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? And, and and I think that just in doing that, I think. But isn't that so patronizing? I don't think so. I don't think so because he's not disingenuous about it, like. I think that Atticus very firmly believes that people in general are inherently good. And he wants his children to believe that too. But he doesn't want them necessarily to, to be blind to like the negative things that happen in society. But he wants them to know. To still be able to, to see it. To see it, but to be able to rise above But then what possibly, after the shit happens here, could he see as good about Bob Yule? Bob Yule is trash. Yeah. And he says that. And he doesn't say it often, which is why that word crashes down on them. 
right? So and they know it. when their father says that this person is trash, mm-hmm. that this isn't just like someone lightly throwing that term right. around. And he they, is. They make the clarification with him between him and the Cunninghams and how the Cunninghams aren't trash, whatever. Yes. Okay. And I, and I think that's that. So he, I think Atticus has allowed himself, has positioned himself in such a way that like he's very willing to accept that people have flaws and people have whatever. But the, there's still a way to live your life but to, that keeps you upright. Yes. But there's just something infuriating about how how he perceives himself to be like the moral high ground and imposing moral lessons on people. Like, But I don't think he sees himself that way independently of other people seeing him that way. Like, other people believe very firmly that Atticus is the right person to do that as well. Yes. And part of it is just because he's very well educated and he's very well spoken. Right? And and like his closing statement and the way that he that he phrasing, presents that case yeah. and, and all yeah, the phrasing obviously and I think that people believe very firmly that like the person who is best suited to, to do is this him. job is Atticus. It, but it's um, so like frustrating if, that it fails, Megan. I know, but if we wanted to, like, really get fails. into, like, the symbolism of his name. Yes, I know. Right? And that's part of that yeah. whole... But but it's not just the failure with Tom. Because there's a second failure with Tom. Mm-hmm. And then there's three failures with Bob Ewell. Mm-hmm. Because Bob Ewell, from that point, just fucking goes around town and punishes people. Yeah. For what's been done to him. And nothing was done to him. Because he underestimates what that spit in the face and what that threat was. Yeah. He thinks, well, he's never actually going to do anything. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Yeah. But I also think that, like, I don't, and I still, I I still don't necessarily think that he's naive about it. I really don't. I just think that, that when he looks at, you know, sort of the grand scheme of things, that, like, a person like Bob Ewell, trashy as he is, but there's consequences. There are consequences, but why would he want to draw attention to? Do you know what I mean? Because you have to think that Bob Yule has been embarrassed, right? And you ha- like, you know that. We all know this. Yes. He's been embarrassed by, by what's happened. And so to go around spitting in people's faces and be like, I'm going to get you. You know what I mean? Like, it just, why like, bring just that? That's just reinforcement of, of what Atticus believes that he is. Yes. But that there's and no. why bring attention but to there's no com- Yeah, and that there's no compunction to act on it, because why would you? Right. He's never acted on anything before. Mm-hmm. Like, do you know what I mean? And I, I feel like. I mean, like, if you go back to the first part where, with Burris Yule in, in school, and he's like, yeah, we come on the first day and that's it. And it's like a badge of honor. Yeah. That they're granted this sort of special permission um, to do that, you know? And so maybe Bob Yule just sort of... Considers himself above. Yeah. And that there's no reproach. Yeah. Um, but what he doesn't know is that, you know, he's, he's going to do his best to get Atticus back. Mm-hmm. And he's going to fail. And he doesn't know that he's going to fail. I think he succeeds in a few ways. He does, but ultimately, in what his end goal was, he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know, and and Atticus has nothing but gratitude at the end mm-hmm. for people yeah. for people who, who have helped to keep his children safe. Because I think at his core, regardless of whether he takes Bob Ewell's threat seriously, that is his main concern, is that his children can grow up safely and quietly mm-hmm. and live out of fairly normal Existence, Because I think in the town, too, I think the thing that we have to remember with Atticus is, like, he is tasked with some of these very difficult things because he has the ability yeah. to at least make people think. Mm-hmm. And he might not have the ability to win the case, but he caused that jury to talk for hours. 
And even though he was, you know, his name besmirched all over town and yeah. treated terribly by others, they still elected elected him yes. unopposed to the legislature. Yeah, so he still has there's that authority, that. Yeah. right? And so I think that that's part of, I think that's part of the kind of the mystery of Atticus, mm. right? Um, but he also. I think, and I don't know where that comes from, and, and you, I don't know, maybe the, the bit with Aunt Alexandra in the second part or the first part or whatever, when she's talking about the family and how proud she is of the Finch family Informed and all this garbage. A bit, yeah. I think it's Atticus, garbage. Well, it is garbage. It's, it is garbage. Just, it's all just a bunch of trash. But I think what's interesting is, like, I think Atticus kind of bites into that a little bit, but not in the same way that Aunt Alexandra does. That, like, for he him... He sees it as something to uphold and yes, share. Yes, and to uphold and share, but you uphold the values that were instilled in you yeah. by your parents. Right. And, and he's doing the very best that he can to do that with his kids. Whereas for Alexandra, it's about status and, and comparing and categorizing yeah. other people. But And for Atticus and for Uncle Jack, like, it's not. It's right. a, For them, it's about being good... Uncle Jack, oh It's about being good people. Um, and I think that that's a, an important... I think that's an important thing, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting that Aunt Alexandra, as like the female family member, is othered by that. That that Scout takes her cues from Uncle Jack and from her instead. father mm-hmm. instead of from her aunt. And I think that's also because there's just more interaction between her father and Uncle Jack mm-hmm. and Aunt Alexandra. Like she's just she's not as around. She's off in Finch's land. And yeah, like, and she's not around. There's very that much. separation. And Scout has Miss Maudie, and she has Miss Rachel, and she has Miss Stephanie, and she's got Calpurnia, and she's got yeah. people in her life that. She can take those cues from. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that, like, it's, I think it's very interesting that the way that this is framed, this narrative is framed, is that Scout is our narrator, and then we hear, don't, we don't hear much of her reaction to all of this stuff. We hear her observations of other people's reaction. Yes. And Scout is very observant, right? And that's part of, that's part of her deal. Um, but we don't really hear what she thinks about it until afterwards, when she's very reflective, and she's legitimately standing in someone else's shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like one of my favorite Which is all passages. that Atticus wanted them to do. Yes. And Jem's able to stand in other people's shoes earlier because he's older. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's in relation directly to the trial. But Scout gets like the broader education, I think, out of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Jem does. Because Jem doesn't get that chance. No. Which I think is very poetic. It is, but oh, we're jumping too far ahead. we got to go back. Um, and so, I don't know. we got to start with Tom, though. We do have to start with Tom. So... Okay, so there's two things, I think, and I think this is important just before we get into the Tom business. Okay. So we're just talking about this family and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and so um, Jem says about their family, he says, Atticus said one time the reason Auntie's so hipped on the family is because all we've got is background and not a dime to our names. Which is true, everyone's poor and they got yeah. nothing. But they got a little bit more than some people. Their name is longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Scout's like, well, I don't know about that. You know, Atticus told me one time that most of this old family stuff's foolishness because everybody's family's just as old as everybody else's. And she's not wrong. I mean, yeah. knowing what we know now. Um, but then Jem puts education as part of that thing, mm-hmm. which I think is incorrect. I think I, I think he's trying to kind of piece it all together, but he says that I think it means how long your family's been reading and writing. But what we know about the, this community is that there's a large part of Mancom that doesn't read and write. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have... That so he's family. elevating, he's elevating status, themselves, even though they've been there as long. Um, okay. and, and and that's very much a social and a racial. Yeah, but then friend. but then um, Scout says something really interesting. She says, "Well, how do you explain why the Cunninghams are different?" 
Yeah. Or no, Jem says that rather, sorry. Because um, Scout doesn't think that, that that's what background has anything to do with. And then Jem says, well, how do you explain why the Cunninghams are different? Mr. Walter can hardly write sign his name. We've just been reading and writing longer than they have. And then Scout, this is one of the, my favorite things that she says out loud. She says, everybody's got to learn, nobody's born knowing. She mm-hmm. says that Walter's as smart as he can be. He just gets held back sometimes because he has to stay out and help his daddy. Nothing's wrong with him. I think there's just one kind of folks. Folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really talking about circumstance. Yeah. That's very much like a, a nurture versus a nature. Yeah, and Scout recognizes that, like, Walter is a very... He's a nice boy. Yeah. And he's a he, good boy. He's a good boy, and he tries hard, but the circumstances of... Dictate, yeah. His family dictate. Whereas the Yules, the circumstances of their family also dictate the way they behave. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can't read and write either, but I'm sure Scout would much rather be friends with Walter Cunningham than be friends with yeah. any of the Yules. And that's a behavior thing, right? Um, yeah. They don't attempt to change that in any way. Yeah. And Bob goes about in this loud last part of the novel yeah. just reinforcing his trashness. Yes, well, absolutely. And then and then Jem doesn't agree with Scout, and I think Scout's very right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't agree with Jem in this bit at all. Because he says, well, if everyone's all alike, why do they go out of the way to despise each other? Mm-hmm. Um and it's just a sim- it, and it's but Jem doesn't it's recognize because everyone is all like, <laughs> but it but it is but Jem doesn't recognize that what he's doing by saying like well if your family's been reading right and longer you're better he doesn't recognize that what he's doing is the same thing yeah but then he says this thing about Boo Radley and he says you know I I'm beginning to understand why Boo Radley stayed shut up in the house all this time it's because he wants to stay inside mm-hmm. and that's maybe fair and probably true and probably true because how would you feel going out in town being a pariah. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. But we know as readers that Boo Radley's been coming out. Mm-hmm. We know this to be true. I don't think Jem has caught that yet. No. Um, they know the fire. They're pretty sure. They're like, can't believe, because Jem's like, can't believe you didn't turn around and see him. And she's like, I didn't even know, right? But other than that, I don't yeah. think Jem has quite comprehended that, like, Boo Radley left his pants on the fence and that, like, was, you know, was leaving things in the tree. <laughs> left his own pants? Like, yeah. Boo Radley takes yeah. off his pants? Left Jem's pants on the fence. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. for you? My pants. <laughs> <laughs> Creepy. Uh, um, that was a bad pronoun game. Anyway. Um, so this is, so we need to talk about Tom. Um, we do need to talk about Tom. Because it, it... It's tragedy on tragedy. It is tragedy on tragedy. And so, um, at, Aunt Alexandra is hosting a tea at the house and yes. Scout is tasked with being a lady and she's got to wear her dress and whatever and she and hates, hates everything about it doesn't oh, want to be involved hates all the women hates the Aunt o- Alexandra yeah the only woman she doesn't really hate is Miss Maudie yeah um, because Miss Maudie's Ma- like you know gives her little thing yeah Miss Maudie is her rock little cues there that yeah let her get through this day yeah and so so they're having this this discussion and Scout because she's so used to talking to adults, doesn't know when she shouldn't talk sometimes. Yeah. And so she asks one of the women who's talking about how this whole thing will blow over. She's like, Mrs. Merriweather, Mrs. Merriweather what will blow over? Because for Scout, this is a very real thing that's not going to end. Yeah. Um, because her father's very involved in, in the appeals process mm-hmm. and whatnot. And uh, the adults just kind of look at her. And they're like, uh, nope, we're not answering. No. Um, Which, you know, just goes back to show who Scout is and how mm-hmm. she feels any knowledge for the adults should be her knowledge too and that just because she's young doesn't mean she's incapable of knowing mm-hmm. her and Jem feel that about everything yeah um and then we've got some terrible terrible news um yeah so they're having this tea and Miss Maudie is angry at Mrs. Merriweather mm-hmm. 
Um, and it's very, very noticeable because Miss Maudie is not an angry person. No. And Scout is all not quite afraid, but like, and Aunt Alexandra, and this is where Scout. She's tense. She's not usually yeah. feels that. She doesn't usually pick up on those cues. She no. didn't when Atticus was out there in front of all those men. No. Risking his life. No, she didn't get it at all. Um, but Aunt Alexandra is very adept at navigating mm-hmm. these awkward social situations. And this is the first time that Scout really appreciates that. Yeah. Because she can feel the tension in Aunt Alexandra, like, engages women in conversation to, like, diffuse some of the tension. And she makes sure that people have their tea refilled. And, like, she's very much playing the hostess as she needs to. Um, and it helps to diffuse everything. Um, and then, so Scout's part of this. And then she does acknowledge that she's more at home in her father's world. And she fits better there and, and everything. Yeah. And then... Um, this conversation sort of carries on. Mrs. Merriweather won't shut up about, you know, the the community and Tom Robinson and, and in kind of a very roundabout way. And then we find out um, that uh, Atticus comes in mm-hmm. and he uh, asks Aunt Alexandra and Calpurnia to come into the kitchen. Uh, and Calpurnia has to go with him because Tom Robinson's dead. He is. He uh, was shot in the back. 17 times more times than he needed to be Mm because he tried to escape from jail Mm -hmm. um and what's really interesting about that is how to the people who shot him tom's desperation because obviously that's a desperate act Mm -hmm. just reinforces what they feel is his guilt or some sort of Mm -hmm. stereotypical idea of who Tom and, and who he represents are, which obviously is not. Yeah. And Atticus says, I guess Tom was tired of white man's chances and preferred to take his own. Yeah, because Tom... Which is really powerful. With the, with the appeals process, Atticus felt like they had a decent chance of, of getting hurt on appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously Tom didn't. And that's okay. I mean, like, how do you convince somebody that he has a chance when he hasn't been given one his whole life, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a fair... I mean, that's a fair totally response. fair. And I think at this point, I think Atticus is just disheartened. Yeah. Um, but, and then, then you finally see Aunt Alexandra show some emotion and she doesn't show a lot, but what she says is very powerful. And she Mm -hmm. says, um, she says, I can't approve of everything he does, but he's my brother and I just want to know when this will ever end. Um, it tears him to pieces and it does. Like you see Atticus and his reaction to all this stuff and he's just, he can't. Mm -hmm. And then she asks a really interesting question, which I don't know if anyone considers. And she says, what else do they want from him? Mm Mm-hmm. And we know what Bob Yule wants from him. Yeah. Right? And so the fact that she voices that, um, you know, and then Ma- Miss Maudie just asks for clarification, like, who does, who wants what? And then she says, I mean, the town. They're perfectly willing to let him do what they're too afraid to do themselves. It might lose him a nickel. They're perfectly willing to let him wreck his health doing what they're afraid to do. Yeah. Um, and then Miss Maudie, like, in her way, just kind of calms everything down. Um, but it's so true. The town puts him on this pedestal as, yeah. as they recognize he is, you know, quote-unquote, better than them. But then in doing that, just has with he does with his children, a courteous detachment from it to take no responsibility yeah. for how they as a community contribute to what Atticus has to go through each day. Yeah. And so they kind of take their you know scouts she's shaking and she's so like enraged she's by so this upset, yeah. um because she knows how big the the exercise yard of the prison is and, like and she knows like you know it seems fishy it seems her. something seems not right that they mm-hmm. had to shoot him 17 times or whatever and of course she's just in the kitchen listening to this like like it's nobody's business and i think that's yeah. really interesting too um and then miss Monty's like all right well we have people 
So let's go. And that's where, like, Miss Maudie's always been part of their family in very many ways, but this is where she's, like, really, truly part of it. Because mm-hmm. she takes over a little bit of that and takes some of that burden off Aunt Alexandra. And it's like, okay, let's go. And she let's go host. Let's tells go Scout host. to stop shaking, calls her Miss Jean Louise to remind her that she's supposed to be a lady. Mm-hmm. And then they go out, and then Scout says this wonderful thing at the end. Um, she says, Aunt Alexandra looked across the room at me and smiled. She looked at a tray of cookies on the table and nodded at them. I carefully picked up the tray and watched myself walk to Mrs. Merriweather. With my best company manners, I asked her if she would have some. After all, if Auntie could be a lady at a time like this, so could I. Which is such an interesting closing to how Scout struggles with what it means to be her gender. Yes. Every time Jem calls her a girl, she hates it. Oh, yeah. Because he probably says it very, like, snottily to her, Of course her, he right? Does, right? He's trying to insult her. He's trying yeah. to rile her up. But she, each time, takes that as, you know, a, almost a affront to her character. Mm-hmm. To be anything feminine. That she'd be better yes. if she wasn't a girl. And she sees in this moment, in all these different interactions that happen and the subtleties in them, yeah. that... That there's, there's strength. Strength and grace and compassion in yeah. all of those things. And that's a really important... Um, that's a really, really important thing, mm-hmm. I think. Um, that she recognizes that. Um, and it's... I think I think it's a nice cap-off, too, to the like Aunt Alexandra story it as well. Because when Aunt Alexandra shows up, and we didn't actually address this, um, it's just this great line at the very end of, I think it's of chapter 12, because that's when they go to church, and then they come home, and Aunt Alexandra's there, right? Um, yeah. And she's just sitting there on the porch, like, yeah. Aunt Alexandra was sitting in a rocking chair exactly as she had sat there every day of her life. Like, she just... Takes her place. Takes her place. Yeah. But then in this, at the end here, and this is the end of chapter 24, um, where they have this situation, she also takes her place. Yeah. But she allows for other people to be part of it as well mm-hmm. and she allows for scout to take her place yeah as like the rightful woman of the house which is like i mean scout's like what eight years old yeah but and alexandra by allowing scout to serve those cookies is like giving her this is your responsibility this is your role now and really training and training her yeah yeah Probably knowing full well that she's never going to be a proper lady. No, but... and that's nothing that was ever important to Atticus, right? No, no. So to hear it from someone else is crucial. Which makes, in chapter 25, Jam, we get, still, all of this news is just destroying him. Yes. Like, emotionally, he's wrecked. And she says, Jam was the one who's getting more like a girl every day, not I. Right. Which is such a contrast to before when he's beginning to go through puberty. And he's, like, crowing about his, like, chest yeah. hair or she, whatever. Hey, look at my one chest hair <laughs> as a distraction when she's scared, yeah. right? Yeah. Which is so funny. Like, that's mm-hmm. such a boy thing to do. Be like, you know what I mean? Like, just to be crowing look about Look at my it. masculinity in <laughs> hair. That's um, all I have to do to be masculine and be a man is just look like one. But to be a lady. Yes. You have to be calm under pressure and, oh. you know... Show do we need grace. to do we need to pull out that cool girl thing from Gone Girl again? Oh, Just to like, it's not, but it's but not. I mean it, that's what it is, right? Like, yeah. there's all of these things that she has to do to be a lady, but all Jem has to do is like grow a mustache. Mm-hmm. Um. So. So there's three. I want to skip ahead to this evil stuff. Yeah. Because there's three things. Well, there's one really interesting. Well, this is the end of the summer, right? Like, the summer's kind of wrapping up. And this trial takes place over the summer, and then they go back to school. Mm -hmm. And that's important, too, that the season has changed. That they get back 
kind of into things. Because this trial that took up the first, like, two-thirds of part two took place in the summertime. Yes. And then now we're getting to the end of that and back into the seasons changing, which yeah. was more important in part one than it was definitely in part, in part two. two. Yeah. But um, before we talk about um, Bobby Ole, there's this really interesting conversation that, again, Scout overhears um, and talking with people, because she's back in school, school year has started, and she's learning about Hitler, because mm-hmm. there's this thing called current events, <laughs> yeah. that she hates and doesn't really understand what that yeah. means. Um, and they're talking about Hitler and how he's bad. And she overhears this in class, and she uh, is talking about Miss Stephanie Crawford, and she says, I hear her say, it's time somebody taught them a lesson, that they were getting way above themselves, and the next thing they think they can do is marry us. Speaking about, of course, Mm -hmm. the black people in their community. And she says, Jem, how can you hate Hitler so bad, and then turn around and be ugly about folks right at home? Yeah. And she's eight. She's eight years old. And she's trying to get Jem to, like, help her understand because she's she says that Atticus doesn't understand school things only Jem does yes and he understands them better than her so she's going to Jem is like please help me understand this and Jem is furious Mm -hmm. he screams at her he shakes her he says I don't want to talk about that trial ever 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 and so she's lost him and 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 feels like She's lost him as someone that she can trust yeah. to, to go through and understand. Well, Atticus only shares certain things. And they're also, because they're in school and now he's in seventh grade, they're physically separated now and mm-hmm. they're not in the same building anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and that just kind of further reinforces that that separation um, between the two of them. Um, but his physical violent reaction is very yes. telling as well. And, but that, that, and that's the thing that, that Scout would have done mm-hmm. a year and a half before. And she's taken whatever yeah. lesson she's learned and, and like learned how to not do that. Yeah. Which is interesting because like I mean she beat up her cousin she did right and she didn't even know why she just it was the way that he had said the word that he said she didn't even know what it meant Mm -hmm. but it was the tone knew that it was wrong and so she beat him up Um, she beat up Dill because he wasn't paying her enough attention because they said they would get married one day yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah so like so Scott was very quick to violence before and now and now I wonder if this like that interaction with Aunt Alexandra has kind of not not maybe calmed it but yeah like just given her you know, a, a way to Almost a compose yourself, mechanism, yeah. right? And and like take a breath and go back out and you know perform your duty and do yeah. your role. Um, whereas I'm not sure that that Jem has that yet because he's very. I mean, he's also going through puberty, so his life is just in shambles. That's true, right? So he's got all this other stuff happening, and he and and, and as much as we talk about like girls going through puberty being very emotional, whatever, boys are also very super emotional during puberty. Oh my lord. Yes. Um, the year I taught junior high was the worst year of my life because of the boys. The girls, whatever. They were catty, but it's no big deal. Yeah. The boys were impossible to deal with. Right? Because, like, they're just at that point. Right? Yeah. That seventh, eighth and grade thing. And it's a thing. little bit earlier for the boys than it is for the girls. Yes. Delayed, so. Um, and so for, so for Jem, like, going through all of this, you know, and Atticus with his courteous yeah, detachment... Yeah, yeah. It's Which still, it's, he doesn't have anyone, and so he takes it out on the only person that, who ultimately unconditionally loves him, yes. other than his father. Mm-hmm. And Scout still loves her brother very much. She's just real mad at him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting that their roles have flipped, where he was always kind of the calm whatever, and she was the quick, so she had her fists of fury, and now Jem has kind of taken that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get the reemergence of Bobby Ewell now. We do, and at the very end of chapter 25, no, yeah, at the very end of chapter 25... Um, she reads the 
uh, editorial mm-hmm. about Tom's death. And Mr. Underwood says that, you know, it was a senseless killing. But one of the things that he says is that Tom was a dead man the minute male you will opened her mouth and screamed. And that's probably true. It's absolutely true. But then Scout goes on to, to sort of note that the name Yule gave her a queasy feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I guess Miss Stephanie had told Aunt Alexandra one time when Jem was around that Mr. Yule said it made one down and about two more to go. So Tom was yep. the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got targets. He's got targets and there's two more targets. Yeah, we find Tom is one. We find uh, Judge Taylor yeah. is kind of harassed, but I think robbed, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then obviously the the Finch family is a target as well. Is a target as well, and so the 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 curious thing that it's about two more to go mm-hmm. is interesting, it is. Um, and we'll get to that in a minute. I mean, obviously, hopefully you've read it, and you know what we're going to talk about, but <laughs> just in case you're trying to get your information out of us. Um, and so, so Scout's growing up because she they're in school and she doesn't see Jem and whatever, but she's also not scared of the Radley place anymore. No. And it's interesting that she brings that back. Like, she still has to walk by it every day to go to school and whatnot. But she, it's very interesting that she brings back her discussion of the Radley place. And I think that's because she's she seen and experienced real horrors in her life. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that she's like, not afraid of it anymore. It's, it's just, just a, a house. man in a house. Yeah. Like, what? And if, he never com- and if he never comes out, he's never going to do anything to her. Yeah. Ultimately, right? Like, and so she's what not. There to be afraid there's of? not nothing to be afraid of anymore. And then she has her like wistful remembrance of the tree, right? The two Indian had pennies, chewing gum, soap dolls, a rusty metal, a broken watch and chain. Yeah. Um, and she she's pretty sure the gem still has those All objects of those somewhere. Things, yeah. And then she acknowledges like we'd almost seen him a couple of times because mm-hmm. there's that time that they're like rolling in the tire, and she's pretty sure that she hears him laughing. Mm-hmm behind the window which I love that's like one of my favorites just like a l- quick little moment and then obviously like the fire yeah if she'd have turned around there he would have been there he would have been you know yeah. um and she imagines the conversation that she would have mm-hmm. and I love this little imagined conversation because as much as we look at her as being grown up she's eight she's very small yeah like but she's only eight years old and so like the conversation she wants to have is just like you know, just a very kind of childlike conversation. And I think part of it is because they can't imagine Boo Radley as an adult. Yeah. Because they don't know him. But, I mean, she's only eight years old and she still has this fantasy. She makes up a conversation. But it's very surface, too. Yeah. Like, there's nothing... Good evening. Yeah. Nice weather we're having, isn't it? Yeah, basically. It's small talk. But I think that's just the recognition that she feels Boo, or she calls him mm-hmm. Mr. Arthur, is a person. Right? And he's gone mm-hmm. from being a ghost to a person. Um, and Scout finds out that her father knew everything they were up to. Yeah. Which is so good. And she's just like, you can't get away with anything in Atticus's house, apparently. Because mm-hmm. um, he says, you know, if you go on the Bradley property, uh, you might get shot. And she, you know, Mr. Nathan shoots at every shadow he sees. Even shadows that leave size four bare footprints. You were lucky not to be killed. Mm-hmm. So he knows. And he just chose to ignore it. Yeah. He, I think he probably hoped that it would just kind of play themselves out. Yeah, and of course, like when you're a kid, and I also, or anyone, the more you're told not to do something, yeah. the more you want to do it. Yeah. Especially for three irrational children who are yeah. constantly competing against each other as who's the bravest. And then she, and she, so she goes back to think about when that was, and she was like, this is the first he had let us know he knew a lot more about something than we thought he knew. Mm-hmm. And it had happened years ago, so that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Because it's not years ago. Yeah. It was only the summer and before she can't last. Because so many things have happened. Yeah. 
Um, and this is where I think Harper Lee's strength as a writer comes out because a lot of these last pages of pages are just exposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not a lot of dialogue, and some of the exposition here is just gorgeous. But it's a really interesting blending of what perhaps Scout felt at the time versus what perhaps Scout's reflections are afterwards. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. And especially how she says, you know, it had happened years ago. No, only last summer, right? And then no the summer before ago, last. It's young Scout. Yes. Then it's older Scout for those yeah. other two lines. Yes. Yeah. And then she has to ask Jem for clarification because he'll probably remember better. And, yeah. And she kind of knows. And then Jem's like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> yeah, because of reasons and stuff. <laughs> um, and so this whole this whole thing, like Jem is so mad at her about everything. And he's not mad at her. He's just mad. No, he's just mad. He doesn't know what to do with his anger. Um, and then Atticus just tells her to, to wait about that mm-hmm. he'll he'll get he'll get back to himself get soon there. enough. Yeah. Um, and Scout's just not old enough to understand what's happening quite yet, which is so interesting because like she understands these weird legal things and she understands how her community is just full of a bunch of racists and she understands all of these like complicated societal things, yeah. but like she's not old enough to be told about puberty. But and I, to understand, and that's okay. Like yes. there's nothing wrong with that. No. But but she just she has this, like very broad knowledge base of like the outside, but the things that happen inside that house. Sometimes she does, she's not old enough to know about those. But I think it's also that she lives a very experiential life, mm-hmm. right? She knows about the Cunninghams because she experiences the Cunninghams paying in a different way than everyone else does. Yeah. And she's seen how those people act and react. And when something's strange, she asks a question and she often gets an answer. So I think that yeah. she hasn't experienced it, so it's out of totally her frame of reference. I don't think she's as hungry for knowledge as Jem is. Mm-hmm. No. No, maybe not. But I think she. I think she's. I think she's hungry for understanding. Yeah. But not necessarily knowledge. Knowledge. Yeah. Um, because I think at the at the at its core, I think she's the the one who eventually will become the more empathetic mm-hmm. person overall. Yeah. And Jem will become like the intellectual. Yeah. Agree. Um, she's very smart, but I think she'll manifest that intelligence in emotional ways rather than like intellectual academic pursuits. Yeah. Right? Agree. Um, and so. Harper Lee's, in, when we get into chapter 27, um, the very beginning when she talks about these three things that happen in Maycomb, like only three things out of the ordinary, it says they did not directly concern us, the Finches, but in a way they did. That, to me, harkens right back to the very beginning where she yeah. says, like, I maintain Bob Ewell started it and all of that. Um, but again, this is where, this is where I think Harper Lee's strength as a writer mm-hmm. really shines through because these three events are very, they're very disparate, they're very separate. Yep. Um, but it makes it sound like they're all... I mean, they are connected, obviously. They are connected but by the, a person. But the way that she writes them makes it sound like this is all just part yeah. of this big, long narrative arc. Mm-hmm. Um, and she does a really great job. Um, and I think it's great. I mean, Bob Ewell gets and loses a job in a matter of days on, like, the, the WPA, like, the Works Progress Administration. And, like, th- that was the Make Work Project under the New Deal to get people back to work. And, like, how do you, you lose a job? He's lazy. On a Make Work Project. Didn't do it. Um, and so he, so he loses the job and he, he accuses Atticus somehow of getting the job. You know, and, and, and so there's that Spilly. target again. Yeah. Um, and then Judge Taylor is... Burgled, broken into. Yeah. Harassed. Yeah. Essentially kind of terrorized. He found, yeah, he says Judge Taylor clumped to the back porch to let Anne out, his, his dog, mm-hmm. um, and found the screen door swinging open. A shadow on the corner of his house caught his eye, and that was all he saw of his visitor. And then his wife came home and saw... Him waiting with a shotgun, just in shotgun. case. Just in case, yeah. And then the third thing was to Helen Robinson. Which course. is a good thing, to but Tom. also a bad thing. Yeah, to, to Tom 
Robinson's widow. Um, and Tom's boss gave Helen a job mm-hmm. to make sure that she was able to provide for her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and she... Uh, She's really terrorized. She's terrorized by Bob Yule. Yeah. And she goes a mile out of her way each way to work. And he harasses, and he harasses her, her, her and follows anyway. her. And um, is really just a terrible person. And... Helen just asks her boss not to say anything, like, just leave it alone, I'll just keep, it's fine, it's no big deal, which speaks to sort of what maybe she's already been used to, and what other people have already been used to, um, and it's just not worth the trouble. And then, but Mr. Link Dees goes up to Bob Yule's gate, and he comes up, and nothing, no, nobody's there at first, and he just says, I will, if I hear one more peep out of my girl Helen about not being able to walk this road, I'll have you in jail before sundown. Um, which you would have, and I think Bobby will notice that. Because yeah. Bobby is no stranger to the court system by this time. No, and uh, and 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 he's a very cognizant. Linkedies is very cognizant of um, what is happening, mm-hmm. and he he's keeping an eye on Bobby Ewell. And then Aunt Alexandra, who is still around, she she doesn't say a lot in this last little bit. No. So that, that tea party is kind of the capping of her story, but she does say to Atticus that she doesn't like it. She doesn't like that Bobby Ewell is, is so actively involved in these people's lives. Yeah. Um, you know. And she says, I know how that kind are about paying off grudges, and saying that kind instead of those people even, like, dehumanizes him yeah. and his family even more. And which, fits with her categorization yes, of people and also kind groups. Of fits with Atticus's categorization of them as trash as well, right? Like, yes. Because Atticus, it's not, I don't know if he necessarily assumes that they're, like, not human. No, but I think he... But they're a form of human, like, a lower form of... He judges people on actions yes. rather than name. Yes, that's true. Right? Because if Mayella were to change her life around, Atticus would change his opinion of Mayella. Absolutely. And if Bob were to change his life around, he would change his opinion of Bob. Whereas to Aunt Alexandra, they've got that name and they've got that name forever. Yeah. And that's just the way it's going to be. Yeah. Um, And Atticus is still unwilling, really, to see that there's any any issue with Bob Ewell and doing what he's doing. Because Atticus is pretty sure that, you know, he'll be fine. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not time to worry yet. He doesn't say it. He doesn't say it in this point, but that's kind of the reaction that he has. This is what we call escalating behavior. Yes. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Like, this is cause to be concerned. Yeah. Got harassment on two levels. Yeah. Happening against people directly involved with a trial. Mm -hmm. You had him spit in your face and threaten you, and yet it's all fine. Um, And so. So Atticus tries to kind of explain it away because he says, you know, he says, you don't know the Bobby will cut that screen at Judge Taylor's house. Um, I, I can guess. I proved him a liar, but John made him look like a fool. Mm-hmm. And that's maybe that's true. That's difference, yeah. But, but, he also embarrassed Bobby Will. Yeah. Right? So. Um, and so we have this, you know, whatever's happening in, in the, <laughs> whatever's happening in the town. Um, Scout says here that Maycomb was itself again. Mm-hmm. Precisely the same as last year and the year before that, with only two minor changes. Um, firstly, people had removed from their store windows and automobiles the stickers that said, the NRA, we do our part. I asked Atticus why, and he said it was because the National Recovery Act was dead. I asked who killed it. He said nine old men. Supreme Court justices? Yes. yes. Um, and I like that a lot, that he doesn't, she doesn't go into detail with this. And then the second... Uh, change in Maycomb since last year was not one of national significance. Um, it was about Halloween and uh, what they were going to do. 
for Gonna Halloween. Have a little pageant. Have a little Halloween pageant. Whole thing at the school. Yeah. And Scout is going to play a part in this pageant. And She's been given the role of a ham. She, and it's amazing. And we'll put a picture from the... We should find the clip. From yeah, the, we'll add it. But yeah, it we'll put a picture of her in her ham costume from the film. It's just delightful. <laughs> so funny. Um, it's ridiculous is what it is. But it, essentially she's dressed as a ham. Um, she's got like chicken wire and there's fabric covering this chicken wire. Um, and she's got this little, this little like eye slit so that she can see so she doesn't fall over. Um, which becomes a very interesting thing um but yeah she's in this, so she's the ham in this pageant so they're in the pageant um it's over she kind of screws things up and apparently ruins it yeah um but well, and then yeah. when they're so they go to the pageant they uh they come home um at the end of chapter 27 this is one of the best things that is in mm-hmm. this book um she's repeating her part for calpurnia just to show, because someone yells pork, and then she, like, walks in in this ham costume. And she literally has one thing to do. It's delightful. Um, and she wanted to go across the street to show Miss Maudie, but Jem said she'd probably be at the pageant anyway. After that, it didn't matter whether they went or not. Jem said he would take me. Thus began our longest journey together. Mm-hmm. So they're walking past the Radley house, um, and it's still a little bit scary, because they got to go to school, right? And that's just the way that they got to go to the school. It's all dark. And, and it's, it's all dark, and, and it's Halloween, and... And whatever. It's unusually warm. Wind yeah. is blowing. So they don't have jackets. No moon. Um, so it's very dark because mm-hmm. there's no moon. Um, and then Jem's kind of teasing her about ghosts and, and whatever. And she just kind of brushes it off because they don't think she's that scared of it anymore. She still no, doesn't have not. that fear that they used to have. Um, and then they keep going. They go up towards the school. Um, and then Cecil Jacobs... Uh, jumps them. out, yeah. jumps out and scares them. Um, and she hates Cecil Jacobs so much. She hated him in first grade, and she probably hates him again in third grade. So yep. it's all good. Um, and then they uh, go into this fair essentially, and mm-hmm. there's like booths and stuff. And Jem gives her thirty cents that Atticus had left for her, so she had six things to do. Um, and then they have their they have their pageant and she comes out on stage in her ham costume and she does it just beautifully because <laughs> why wouldn't she right mm-hmm. um but then she you know misses up her <laughs> her misses, misses up her, her cue F, and she's mortified um and uh, she waits and she waits and she waits and she's Jem is kind of coming back to himself and waits with her and yeah. I'm so glad that he waits with her I know but he waits with her and um you know, because I think he understands. It's also his duty. As it is brother. his duty, and he he discipline his father. Task. He needs to do his um, task. But then. he but he also waits for her, and he waits until the auditorium's less. There's less people because he knows that she's embarrassed, and he asks her if she wants to take her costume off, and she says no, and so he's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the movie, it's quite delightful because he like puts his hand on top of the the hem and kind of guides her through, and it's it's she cute because she can't really yeah. see, and she leaves her shoes. Um, at the school, and then they decide they're going to go back for them later. They're not going to go back. Because the lights just home. went lights off. Lights went off, and so they'll just get them whenever it's... And there's to. really no one around. Like, they've waited long and long and long and long. It's just them yeah. on their way home. Yeah. And they... So they're walking home this way that they've gone for years. Mm-hmm. And Jim hears something. And he stops. And Scout can't see anything, of course. So she doesn't think that there's anything. She probably can't hear anything either. No, because she's in that stupid costume. Um, and then he hears it again. Mm-hmm. And he hears it again. And they just kind of keep walking. And he's and so Jem thinks it's Cecil Jacobs again, because he was there before. Um, and then he yells, 
Scout yells, uh, Cecil Jacobs is a big wet hen, which I think is a really funny thing. Um, and there's no acknowledgement of sound except for an echo, and so it's a little bit eerie. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But they really can't see. No. Which is kind of mind-boggling to me. They hear the wind in the trees. Yeah. Yeah. Every time they're walking, they hear a noise, and when they stop, the noise stops. The noise stops. And so Jem's a little bit worried, and she still can't really hear mm-hmm. uh, until... And she even says it's like cotton pants rustling together. Yeah. That's what she hears. Yeah. So she said, we had not increased our pace. Jem knew as well as I that it was difficult to walk fast without stumping a toe, tripping on stones, and I was barefooted. Maybe it was the wind rustling in the trees, but there wasn't any wind and there weren't any trees except the big oak mm-hmm. tree. So they get to the base of the big oak tree and she can feel it. Um, and so our company shuffled and dragged his feet as if wearing heavy shoes. Whoever it was wore thick cotton pants. What I thought were trees rustling was the soft swish of cotton on cotton with every step. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they stop and the footsteps don't. Mm-hmm. And then Scout, Jem tells Scout to run. Mm-hmm. And she can't. And she falls over because she's in this costume. And then um, all she can't she's, go anywhere. She can't go anywhere. And all she can see is uh, this little tiny eye slit, essentially. So she doesn't have... And there's not much because it's so dark. And uh, and it's just bodies grabbing her. And Jem yeah. gets up and tries to push her and run. And Jem's grabbed. And it's like groaning and screaming. And all of this just chaos mm-hmm. happening around her. Yeah. And so she hears these scuffles and she's terrified because she doesn't know what's going on and then she hears this groan um and uh she says it was slowly coming to me that there are now four people under the tree so mm-hmm. now there's her and Jem and, and someone else someone else and then another person and she says a man was walking heavily and unsteadily toward the road um and she reached out with her toes and touched someone and she touched um trousers and a belt buckle buttons a collar and a face and it's there's stubble on it and she smells this whiskey and she fears at the start that it's Jim she thinks it's Jim at first and she realizes it's not Mm -hmm. but she smells this whiskey on this and then she she goes along the direction of the road um and she sees somebody carrying carrying Jim Mm -hmm. um his arm dangling and doesn't know so that's the broken arm Mm -hmm. where Jim gets his arm broken from the very beginning yeah and she doesn't know who this person is she has no idea what's happened Mm -hmm. um and she runs Mm -hmm. Um, she runs to the house and Aunt Alexandra um, notices that Scout's there and they call the doctor and um, Atticus calls Mr. Hectate because someone's been after his children mm-hmm. um, and he wants to see who's still around and uh, Scout wonders who, you know, if Jem's dead and it's just chaos like it's, it's just all of the chaos nobody knows what happens Scout um, has no idea she didn't really see it no. she can't and again, she's eight. She can't really. Yeah, she can't really process really right away process what's happening. What was happening? Um, she's so afraid. She keeps saying, "Is Jem dead? Is Jem yeah. dead?" And if, doesn't believe the answers to. No, the and if Jem's dead, then I feel like she feels like it's going to be her fault yes. because she made him wait because she exactly. screwed up her, her cure. So she's or whatever. going through a lot, and there's not a lot of answers that are coming from her. Yeah, and then the doctor, you know, reassures her a little bit and checks her over, makes sure she's okay and and stuff, and uh, and then she says. Um, you know, you don't think he's dead? And then the doctor says, no, I may be wrong, but I think he's very alive. <laughs> you know, shows all the symptoms of it, just to kind of reassure her that yeah. he is going to be okay. Um, and so she goes in to see Jem, and he's lying in bed. Mm-hmm. 
and Atticus is standing by Jim's bed. And this is the greatest observation that Scout makes because she has no idea what she's looking at when she walks into the room and she says, The man who brought Jim in was standing in a corner, leaning against the wall. He was some countryman I did not know. He had probably been at the pageant and was in the vicinity when it happened. He must have heard our screams and come running. And I feel like Scout knows already that that's not true because there was literally nobody around. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think she It's just the answer she's trying to Yeah, she just needs an answer. She needs to know who this person is. Um... And then we find out that uh, Bob Ewell is the one is the one who attacked them, and Bob Ewell's dead, lying under a tree, mm-hmm. with a knife stuck up in his ribs. Yeah. And so this mystery man, presumably, killed, killed Bob Ewell. Him. Yeah. Um, Which is really interesting because Atticus's logic jumps that it's Jem that killed him. Mm-hmm. Like, what is up with that? I don't understand that. Why would Atticus think that way? I think maybe because he doesn't... Because he doesn't want Tate to hush this up at all. Yes. He says, this is what's happened. Yes. I need to do the right thing. Like, it's a clear case of self-defense for Jem. Like, I think... What is that about? I think it's because of the fact that... Like, is he in shock, too? Maybe a little bit, but I also think he maybe doesn't understand that, that this person that saved them was out there. The, that you know what I mean, like the what Scout says, how they must have heard, and then he he came running. Right. Maybe Atticus feels the same way. So as if he was dead before the person got there. Yes, and so like maybe Atticus kind of feels the same way because all because I mean in Scout in her recollection, like all of a sudden there's a fourth person. Yeah. Right, and she doesn't, and doesn't really, know how exactly the order she of those things see. Happened. Yeah, and I think maybe Atticus is sort of thinking the same way. Yeah. Um, and then. You know, we find out, so yeah, Atticus wants to, to cover it all up, or not to cover it up, but to let, you know, Jem be punished ultimately for... And, and Hectate is like, that's not going to happen. Like, no. he was crazy. He wanted to hurt you. And yeah. this is this is how it's going to be framed. Yes. And this is what makes me crazy about Atticus. He says, I thought he got it all out of him, meaning Bobby Ewell, the day he threatened me. Even if he hadn't, I thought he'd come after me. Yeah. And Heck says... He had guts enough to pester a poor colored woman, guts enough to pester Judge Taylor when he thought the house was empty, so do you think he'd have met you to your face in daylight? Yeah. He's not good enough to do no, those things. exactly. Um, and that's why I think he underestimated Bob Ewell. Yeah, he does, absolutely, and, and it almost cost his children their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, so Scout's costume probably saved her because of all the wire yeah. and whatnot, um, just because it protected her from being hit too hard. Um, and then, so she's telling her story and her recollection, and then, you know, she asks, um, Mr. Tate asks her who, who helped, mm-hmm. and then she points to the man who's in the corner, the countryman from, who's at the pageant or whatever, and she says, um, why there he is, Mr. Tate, he can tell you his name. And then it just, all of a sudden she looks at him and there's this wonderful, this wonderful description of him, and she looks at him and she realizes and it that sense. it's Boo Radley. Yeah. Um, who she's never seen. Until this very moment, and she recognizes mm-hmm. that he's there. And I like this reciprocal relation because she says, "I gazed at him in wonder, and the tension slowly drained from his face." Yes. His lips parted into a timid smile, and our neighbor's image blurred with my sudden tears. Yeah. Hey, boo. Yeah. I said. And then Atticus, as Atticus does, uh, corrects her, and <laughs> Mr. Mr. <laughs> which is just like, a, and of course he does, and I think that's wonderful. Yeah. That he's, I mean, and and of course the adults in town know Boo Radley. Yeah. Of course they do. They know the story. Of course, and they know he's the story, young. but they also know Boo Radley because he yeah. was out and about before he was a shut-in. Yeah. And so, like, it's not 
like Atticus has never seen him before. No. Um, and then he uh, introduced... And, like, and living across the street, yeah. I'm sure he has before. Yeah. Well, and when their father died, I'm sure Atticus might have had something to do with the legal, yeah. you know, whatever. His right? will and, so, and yeah. what have you. Yeah. Um, and so Atticus introduces Boo to Scott. He says, Jean Louise, this is Mr. Arthur Radley. I believe he already knows you. And then her narration is wonderful. She says, if Atticus could blandly introduce me to Boo Radley at a time like this, well, that was Atticus. <laughs> no pump and circumstance No, here. none at all. Um... And everyone treats Arthur or Boo... Just like a normal person. Just like a normal dude. And, which and is really interesting because why this myth about him then? Is the myth created by the children or the adults? Because they get told the myth by yeah. adults. I don't know. And is that just like, you know, the neighborhood boogeyman story? Yeah, maybe. Maybe because the boogeyman's Mr. Nathan. <laughs> it's not. Whoa. Whoa, what? <laughs> um, I don't know. Anyway. Um, and then Atticus sort of recognizes that uh, Jem needs to be left alone. They can't just, yeah. you know, he needs, he needs, to, he rest needs to rest. And, and then Atticus invites uh, Hectate and Boo Radley out to the porch rather than the living room. And Scout re- recognizes because the lights are dimmer on the porch. And, and it's more comfortable. It's more for comfortable Boo. for yeah. Boo Radley. Um, and it's an amazing thing. Like, she grows up in an instant. Yeah. And, and recognizes these social mores and, and whatnot that she never really thought she'd have to. Um, and so she says. Hi to him. She does. And then she says a couple things later on, and that's it. That imagined conversation that she wanted, doesn't it never happen. happened. And he do, uh, he doesn't respond to her. And he doesn't need to. And it's amazing. And um, he doesn't say a goddamn word, does he? No. No. Um, and so... Oh, yeah, because he points yeah, and, and then he leads her. Yeah. Right. But he doesn't actually say anything. No. Um, and so Hectate comes to the conclusion that Boo Radley killed um, Bobby Will. And whether that's true or not doesn't matter. Maybe Jem did. Who knows? And it actually Maybe doesn't Bob matter. Maybe Bob had a knife and he fell on it. Yeah. We don't know. And that's the conclusion that Hectate comes yes. to, is that uh, Bobby will fell on his knife, Atticus, and this business is over. Yeah. Um, and whether Boo Radley did the killing or not, it doesn't really matter. I kind of hope, like, it, he did, because there's that whole, like, stab his... But also that he, like, stabbed his father with the scissors. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's some truth to some of that story. You know? Classic Boo Radley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Violent scenario. But but Hectate, as the sheriff, like he's not willing to um, he's not willing to bring Boo Radley into the spotlight. So regardless no. of what happened, he he's come to the conclusion that Bobby Will fell on his knife, and he's like, "Good night, sir. That is enough. Like we're not having this conversation." Anymore. Which makes me wonder how much of that Boo Radley narrative is actually true. Yeah. Is there something terrible and horrific that happened to Boo that made him a recluse? made the family protect him. Yeah. Maybe. Right? Because know. otherwise, I feel like the community should be reacting mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. bit more severely than they are at this sudden emergence of this yeah. person who, I don't, do we even know if he can talk? Yeah. You know, like, there's a lot of question marks with Boo. Yeah. There obviously, are a lot of question marks. Obviously a very compassionate person. He, he went out there to save mm-hmm. the children. Mm-hmm. But and and what's interesting is that is that Hectate he says you know um, he says something very interesting you know he says I've never heard tell that it's against the law for a citizen to do is that most to prevent a crime from being committed which is exactly what he did yeah and he says yeah but maybe you'll say it's my duty to tell the town all about it and not hush it up you know what had happened then all the ladies in Maycomb including my wife would be knocking on his door bringing angel food cakes. Mm-hmm. To my way of thinking, that's taken Mr. Finch taking the one man who's done you in this town a great service and dragging him with his shy ways into the limelight. To me, that's a sin. Yeah. Um, and I really like that. 
I did too. And it just dawned on me that we have done this three episodes of this and haven't talked about like the Mockingbird bit like at all. We haven't. I was hoping we're we gonna talk get about there. Okay, the end, we'll get there. Okay, um, because that's really what he is. And well, and he's not the only one. No, Tom Robinson exists as one. Scout exists as one mm-hmm. in certain in certain things. Certain and situation. Atticus. Um, he doesn't know what to do. He's very conflicted because of his, like, legal Well, whatever. he's never had, like, a moral... Quandary like this. Quandary, no, exactly. No. And like this before. And then he says to Scout, he's like, Mr. Yule fell on his knife. Do you understand? And she's like, of course I understand. Mr. Um, Tate was right. Yeah, Mr. Tate was right. And, he, and then she says, well, it'd be sort of like shooting a mockingbird, wouldn't it? Um, because the mockingbirds, they don't do anything. They're not allowed to shoot mockingbirds because all they do is sing. They don't... They don't eat your plants. They don't cause any trouble. They just make pretty music. Yeah. And so you can't shoot them. And then... He goes to Boo. He goes to Boo and he says, thank you for my children. Oh. It's like, whew. It's so it's good. Powerful. It's very it's powerful. Really and then and then he goes inside the house and leaves Scout on the porch with Boo Radley. And, like, gives her her chance to, like... To talk with to him. To talk with him. And finally have that mystery exposed and answered and it's really powerful because he doesn't say anything she leads him inside so that she can say or he can say goodnight to him and she calls him Mr. Arthur because he's not Boo Radley anymore and she has this and he doesn't say anything and then Aunt Alexandra she's just like come in Arthur like it's as if he's been there every day and it's just they're not paying any attention to him as this mystery person because they all know who he is Um, and so she and Boo goes inside and has a very loving caress of Jem's head. Mm-hmm. Which, which, which is also, like, a thing, like, make sure he's okay. Yeah, which is the thing that Atticus the right has thing. done to Jem. Yeah. Right? And so there's, like, that kind of almost connection. fatherly connection there. And then all he says to Scout, um, they yeah. go back to the front porch, and he says, will you take me home? And that's the only thing he says. And he... Holds out his arm. Holds out his yeah. arm. Like, he's escorting her. Yeah. So that if anyone saw, they would just see... Someone, mm-hmm. a male in the community, just walking Miss Jean Louise. Yeah. And, um... It's beautiful. It is. It's gorgeous. And, uh, they get to the front porch, and she walks him up the stairs, and he, um... He just enters? He goes in the door, and that's it, and she never sees him again. No. And, uh, and she doesn't have to. No. And I think my favorite thing about it is that Jem doesn't get to meet him. No, and it's very, like, even this goodbye to him is very sad for her. She mm-hmm. says, Boo is our neighbor. He gave us two soap dolls, a broken watch, and a chain, a pair of good luck pennies in our lives, but na- but neighbors give in return. We never put into the tree what we took out of it. We'd given him nothing, and it made me sad. Yeah. And yeah. that's very that's a very mature adult thing for her mm-hmm. to realize about that situation. So mm-hmm. there's something in them... That Boo loved, mm-hmm. even though he had no idea who they were. Yeah, really. Yeah, but they, they were, were and then she goes on later on, and it's like but one they, of my favorite maybe things. Maybe it's just that they were interested in him. Yeah, and she, he, she narrates this scene where she stands on the porch and she looks out over all yes. of the events of the book, and imagines it and imagines it from his perspective, and she she stands in his shoes and sees it, and yeah. um, and she calls at the very end. She calls them that they're his children. Yeah. And I think that's, like, a very powerful mm-hmm. thing that she recognizes. He'd watched that. his children's heartbreak on him again, and Boo's children needed him. Yeah. 
Um, and so it just goes through the, the, all the seasons that we've had in the book, just every, you mm-hmm. know, every, every event that's taken place just kind of really quickly. And then, and then you remember that she's just a child. She has this beautiful passage and you remember she's just a kid and she's, I think she's tearing up a little bit. Yeah. Um, and she says, as I made my way home, I felt very old, but when I looked at the tip of my nose, I could see fine misty beads, but looking cross-eyed made me dizzy, so I quit. And so, like, you just kind of remember that she's only eight years old, yeah. and she's experienced all this trauma and upheaval in her life. And, I mean, her brother, who, for all intents and purposes, is her best friend in the entire world, is lying in a coma. In state. <laughs> right? And, almost, you know, yeah. almost died. And she meets this, like, mythical figure that they've been trying to, fu- like, seek out for years and years and years yeah. and then it goes nothing like she intends for it to go no but it's very satisfying to her mm-hmm. um anyway and clearly to him right because he he protected the children he did and so he he really really did which is really interesting because would that not be as tate said it perhaps the redeeming quality of boo to the town yeah it but, probably would but be. But people aren't willing to let that happen, which no. to me thinks there's a, something perhaps a little more traumatic that happened with Boo that is going unsaid. Probably. And and, and maybe just not letting him or not forcing him into the spotlight mm-hmm. is, is recognition enough. Yes. Right. Um, and Atticus thanking him for his children is oof. powerful. Yeah. Oh, very powerful. Yeah. Very powerful. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, and it just dawned on me as I was thinking about that sin about letting we rather come out like we haven't talked about the title at all no um and but i mean it's interesting that we have these like three figures in this book that at different points represent that innocence and that like like scout i mean sure she beat up a couple people but she doesn't do anything wrong like she's no and she she's got that innocence for what she feels are a moral imperative Mm -hmm. right which she's learned from home and so she's acting in the way that she's been brought up and then you have of course tom robinson who's innocent of whatever, and then you have um, Boo. You have Boo Radley, who risked his own life for risked strangers. his life for essential strangers, and then when she reflects on that and realizes they gave him nothing in return, like it's very yeah, it's sad for her, mm-hmm. right? So perhaps even for him, the taking of those yeah symbolic objects for him was a return enough acknowledgement that, of his that there was that reciprocity that they yeah. he was giving and they took, and they but took. they didn't have the opportunity to put anything back in it, yeah, because they were children, and why would they? They just saw us free toys. Yeah. Maybe, perhaps not to Jem, because he held on to them. Maybe. Yeah. Stored them in that little chest. Can you imagine Jem waking up and learning that? Be like, what? <laughs> yeah. Boo Radley was in my <laughs> fucking room. <laughs> He'd be so angry. Scott would be like, uh huh. Uh huh. And I walked him home. I had to talk to Eat him. it. <laughs> <laughs> Who's a big boy now, Jem? <laughs> oh. oh man. Um, so yeah, that's that. That's it's gorgeous. It's, it's a beautiful book. You should read it. It is. That was really long, so maybe long time. should we just recast the film? Yeah, we should. Okay. So the film is okay. We'll talk very briefly about it. The film's fine for when it was made and whatever. Yes. But it misses a lot of the subtlety and nuance of of the book. Especially of the Boo Radley narrative. Because yes. I feel that the story is about, the book is about Scout and the book is about Boo. And the film is about Atticus. Atticus and Tom. And yes. Tom. That, that is, know. yes, I, yeah. I would agree completely. And part of it, I think, is because Atticus is the adult character, right? Yes. And, and I think in 1962 in a movie, it was a hard sell to to convince people to watch a movie essentially about children. And as I noticed in the film, they're, from the start, they, they start with her narrative framing of it with lines from the book, but they lose the POV of the children almost immediately. Mm-hmm. 
And that really took it away from yeah. me. Whereas this is a child's point of view. Yes. Throughout. Through it. Through well, even it. in the court scenes, it only flashes back. And you don't even see Scout when she's... You see her arm around mm-hmm. the balcony railing. Yeah. But you really don't feel or perceive anything from their perspective no. whatsoever. Which really robs, I think, the, the power. Yeah. It does. I agree. Powerful things that happen in there. The ham costume is amazing. We'll put a photo yeah, of it. It's phenomenal. It's so, so, so blog. good. And we will, if I'm sure there's a clip on YouTube, we'll put like the Atticus's closing scene because it's just it's wonderful. phenomenal. It's wonderful. Um, and I will scan or whatever my favorite passage from this book and put it up there because I was going to read a little bit of it. I was like, nope, I'm going to cry, so we're not going to do okay, that. Okay, perfect. Um, we can do that. Yeah. So we decided that we were going to recast the movie to remake it today. We did. And we spent a lot of time It's controversial. <laughs> So, we thought Calpurnia, someone who could do that justice, would be Viola Davis. Yeah. And you had a good point about why. My my rationale for that is that I, I'm imagining the scene where she's, like, bathing scout, like, violently. Mm-hmm. And Viola Davis has that, that gravitas to do that. And also the scene where she, like, yells at scout for yeah. shaming Walter Cunningham. And I don't... I can see her just perfectly yeah. in that role. If you've seen How to Get Away with Murder. Oh, yes. She's yeah. Stone cold. Or, or doubt. Or, or doubt. yeah. Stone cold. For Jim, uh, Finn Wolfhard. Wolfhard? I think that's the last name, yeah. Or Hand? Wolfhard. I don't know. Um, A.K.A. Mike from Stranger Things fits. And I think he works really well because in the show, he's a know-it-all. Oh, okay. And that definitely fits. Like, he's whiny and anxious at yeah. times. And okay. I think that fits for yeah. Jim okay. a little bit. I like it. Uh, McKenna Grace from that movie Gifted we thought would work for Scout. And yeah. you've seen that film, but I haven't. Yeah, I think she's just, she's, she's in the, like, in that film she plays, like, this very gifted math student, right? And she's got that precocious sort of nature. And you would believe, you would believe that she would be able to, like, understand those complicated, like, adult legal things, right? Because mm-hmm. she has, she's got the ability, I think, to do that. Let's leave Atticus to the end. Yeah, okay. Um, for Miss Maudie, you had an interesting suggestion. Um, I thought Julianne Moore would be a good Miss Maudie, um, Mm -hmm. because she's not above, like, I mean, she's obviously very well, like, put together and whatever, but I've seen her in some things where she's definitely, like, a little bit less proper, I guess, you know, Mm -hmm. she's not made up and whatever, and she's got that ability, but she's also, she's a phenomenal actress, like, and the the kids are all right, she's so good, and even in Crazy Stupid Love, Mm -hmm. at the beginning... So like she's phenomenal, and she's I think she. Good. But I think she also has the ability because then I think about her as what's her face in Hunger Games, President Coin, is that her name? Yeah, mm-hmm. and she's got that like stoic. So I think she, that works she really can well. Transition yeah, well, yeah. You also suggested to someone for Tom Robinson. Yeah, so I didn't know his name, and I was like the guy that played Ray Tatum in Friday Night Lights. Um, his name is Aldous Hodge, and I as soon as we kind of talked about like recasting the movie, that was the face that came into my mind. Mm-hmm. So. He should... And he even looked like... He's got a presence. He looks ex- nearly exactly what... Yeah. Tom Robinson in the 62 film. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Um, so that'd be really interesting. Uh, the suggestion was for Woody Harrelson to be Bob Ewell, because he's just a piece of shit sometimes. Yeah. He might be a little bit old for Bob Ewell, but it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. Because he can play that garbagey kind of... Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of Hunger Games people. We do. This, I don't know just that. Because Stanley Tucci we suggested for Mr. Underwood, which really works if he's not really in the film. Yeah. But would totally fit for yeah. who the character is in the book yeah. with kind of being a little bit of a know it all. Yeah. Um, for Dill, we suggested Jacob Tremblay. Yeah, he's great. He's super great. And he's still young enough that he could be like cute and adorable. Mm-hmm. And have- just be that wide eye kind of character. What do we miss? Hectate. 
Oh, we are missing Hector. Um, so we had, uh, from Ms. DuBose, we were just looking, and we, like, Googled, like, old actresses, like, literally, like, old white actors. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, what about Helen Mirren? And she could sell that. She yeah. would be just awful. It's cantankerous. Oh, yeah. That. She'd be so good. And it would be, like, a turn, like, Judy Dench in, um, in Shakespeare in Love. Yeah. Or whatever. Like, the eight minutes on screen would just be, like, just so powerful. Crowd-pleasing, too. For Anna Alexandra, uh, Patricia Clarkson would be super interesting. Yeah. Someone who has that, perhaps, capacity for, for goodness, but also very stoic, very She'd be kind of a, a chameleon in, in yeah. ways, too, where she she could navigate, like, that, that tea party situation yeah. or whatever, like, quite well. So we're obviously also assuming that a remake of this movie, like, doesn't leave out all the good stuff. Yes. Right. Um, I don't know. <laughs> we have to do the two that we don't have names for before we do okay, Blue Rather so Than Atticus. Uncle Jack. Who's a good Uncle Jack? Um, a good Uncle Jake Jack. Jake Gyllenhaal. Too young? He might be a little bit too young. Colin Farrell? Colin Farrell? Yeah, that would work. Yeah, that would, that would totally work from what we've, what we've decided there. Um, and I think for, for Hectate, I think you just need somebody... He doesn't have, I don't know how old he is, and I don't think it matters. You just need somebody... Mature adult. Who can have, you know, the ability to, like, be firm with mm-hmm. someone like Atticus. Mm-hmm. Um, who could compete against that, so... Um, I don't know. Oh, God. Yeah, that's hard. Um, uh, Chris Pine. <laughs> oh, my God. It's Chris Pine. Yeah, actually, I'm now that I say that, I'm not really joking. I think no, that should work. be that Uncle Jack. That would probably Jack. work okay. He should be Uncle Jack. Because Uncle Jack's yeah, kindly okay. and, yeah, okay. and playful. Let's sure. swap them. Okay. We're just swapsing. So Uncle Jack is now Chris Pine. <laughs> Hectate is now Colin Farrell. Um, so we decided, so in the original 1962 uh, movie, Boo Radley is played by a very young Robert Duvall. Who's gorgeous. He is. Like, and, but he's drop like, dead gorgeous. But it's very stunning every time I see it. I'm always like, oh yeah, right. It's Robert Duvall. Like, it's a very strange kind of thing. Um, and, and in so, the film, no lines. No lines. He doesn't say the will you take me home. He doesn't say a word. But he still has a presence. A powerful And so presence. we picked somebody who could do that. Yes. Yeah. And we chose Tom Hardy. We did. Um, which, like, would be amazing. But he does, like, because he did in Mad Max very well. Very few lines and was able to, like, yeah. be a very, a force on screen. And then for Atticus, was kind of the hardest to think about, just because... I'm still not happy with this. But who, I don't know who else you do, so we, we decided Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, because, like, the, and I think the because thing is... Because of course. Because of course, because he's so good, but I think the other thing is, and we talked about this last... Uh, on like our podcast whenever blocked, three like, times ago <laughs> eight million times ago I don't even know when that was um, but we talked about that like he inhabits a role and mm-hmm. so like I firmly believe that he could take a role that's like already iconic and make it his own but also like belong let that role kind of mm-hmm. belong to him right do you think maybe um, Tom Hanks could do it he could but he might be a little bit old don't think there are any different generations. No, but I just, I think Daniel Day-Lewis just has, like, as I'm thinking, and I, this is the problem. Has a certain Yes, but this is the problem, is that I'm thinking of, like, Gregory Peck, and, like, the hair, and you know what I mean? And, like, just, right. and that look, and I feel like, I feel like it would be very significant for, for Daniel Day-Lewis as Atticus to be dressed up in, like, the three-piece. Oh, he's retired, Oh, whatever, Megan. it doesn't matter. Um, so that's our, that's our, that's our cast. Um, so there we go. Thanks for following along, all three of you who probably did. Um, Tom and, like, two other people. <laughs> Maybe Mike. Maybe Mike. He should. And Tasha, probably. So there and you Matt go. Burns. There's our three people. Yeah, Matt Burns. Listen. And Amanda. Number one fan. Number one fan. That's true. That's very true. So thanks for listening. Um, we'll do more of these when we need some space filled, ultimately. <laughs> um, because, uh, 
we lied and said this is like a weekly thing, but really this is all one afternoon. <laughs> it was, and it's exhausting. Yeah, we're done. Um, but thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back very soon with like a regular episode, garbage episode of this garbage show. Yay!